Welcome to the SDG Talks podcast, where we discuss all things around the sustainable development goals and the roadmap to 2030. We are your co-hosts, James and Kevin, here to take you along the SDG ride. We hope you enjoy today's SDG Talks podcast. Here's how I see the world really moving forward in terms of addressing the SDGs. First, they really need to go back to the past. Looking into indigenous practices is one way for us to move forward. There is a saying by our national hero, uh, Dr. Jose Rizal, that if you don't look at the past, then you can't look at the future. SDG Talks podcast, what's going on? Really interesting discussion today with Jonas Marie Dum Dum about all things Philippines. We're going to dive into some of the good and the bad around the everlasting impacts of USA colonialization and then look at how the Philippines is approaching different SDGs, particularly from SDG 12 around sustainable consumption and production, how different companies are approaching reporting standards, what the government can do to provide incentives or punishments, and, and really kind of take a step back and try and look at indigenous practices and how we can look backwards to look forward. I really promise you're going to enjoy today's discussion and learn a lot about but from a worldly macro perspective, but particularly a micro perspective in the Philippines. Also, make sure to check out Jonas's podcast, Sustain Rumble, and enjoy SDG talking. Well, good evening, Jonas. Welcome to the SDG Talks podcast. How are you doing today? Hey, Kevin. Good evening, actually. Yeah. Uh, good morning and good afternoon to all the listeners out there. I'm pretty good today. Thanks. Good. And so where are you located today in the world? So I am located in Manila in the Philippines. If you look it up, we're a bunch of islands just south of China. <laughs> and um, I'm, I live in the capital, specifically in one of the uh, 16 cities in one town of Manila where the central business district is. Interesting. And I know with, I've never been to the Philippines yet, hopefully, and I've studied a lot about Southeast Asia, both Philippines and Indonesia in particular. But I think the dynamic of an archipelago with a lot of these different island chains creates an interesting dynamic for a country, both for economic growth, uh, the SDG prosperity efforts. But how does the Philippines geographic framework and kind of how does that define the Philippines and and kind of set up where the Philippines is at with the pursuit of the 17 SDGs? So there was a joke sometime in the early 90s. um, There was a a candidate for Miss Universe, I think it was like 1993, where the announcer asked, oh, how many islands does the Philippines have? And she said, high tide or low tide. (laughs) 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 Back then, the idea was that the Philippines was composed of 7,107 islands. But recent discoveries have shown that it's more than 7,300, if I recall. And yes, it creates a unique challenge in achieving the SDGs because each island has its own unique set of cultures, ideas, innovations that may not be compatible with the capital city, for one. Mm. And connections may not even be good in between islands because 
the size of the islands or the population of the islands is not, how could I say it, normalized, I guess. So dealing with each community poses a challenge on its own just because the geography and the needs of the communities in the in different islands is way, way different from from those that have larger populations and bigger cities. And I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's a big thing that I've learned with doing social impact projects within my career where the there's a significant difference from, let's say, South America, from Chile to Eastern Africa to somewhere, let's say, Rwanda. And even just those differences are maybe a little bit more obvious, but even within a single country, you look, and I, I think it's interesting when you look at China, it used to be called the, the country of warring states. You know, it's just a big country, but from north to south, east to west, even within a country, it is so different. And, and as you can say within the Philippines, tell me a little bit more about that, that focus on individual islands. And maybe what are some of the challenges from dialects and cultural dynamics? And, you know, how does one approach trying to maybe get projects done to actually go after and try and help all 7,300 islands. Right. Well, the great thing about the Philippines is that thanks to, <laughs> we call, uh, I mean, thanks to the United States. I mean, we were colonized by the United States. The only, I guess, the only country in the world that was ever colonized by the United States in the size of Asia. The signs are in English. Education's in English. So we have two reuniting forces that bond all the islands. It's English and the national language Filipino. So communication from one island to another in terms of adult population is not really that problematic. However, for many people in Manila or many people actually in in major cities, the greatest challenge is really just to get into each and every island and see how the communities there really work because not every stretch of the country could be seen by one person at any given time. It's not like you can drive a car and go from, let's say, the very top of the country, which is the Batanas group of islands, and go drive all the way to the south that borders Malaysia and Indonesia. So it's more of transport more of the linkages, physical linkages, and not really the educational linkages that present a problem for the Philippines. Yep. And it's interesting you bring it up. One aspect of history that I love to to follow and and look at is the impact of colonialization. Obviously, there are many things that humanity is not proud of, but regardless, we are are where we are today, largely because of it. And I think the, the U.S. colonization of Philippines is something that many like I we didn't learn about it too much growing up as growing up as an American like I didn't learn about it really until I, I started traveling and, and kind of did more research in the history but I think just to, interested in your your feedback in terms of what are besides maybe the English the dynamic of the English language being so ingrained within Philippine society off the top of your head good or bad and that I, I have don't have any shame and feel free to rip on anything, but what are maybe some everlasting impacts of colonialization that exist within the Philippines to this day? Well, okay, I could cite three good and probably three bad, so I'll start with the good. 
right now I'm talking to you in English. <laughs> That's already one. Yeah, and um, English is great. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. And I think it's more than 80% of Filipinos can understand English, both written and spoken English. And uh, we do have our own, uh, I guess, accent, a Philippine English accent that resembles Southern California, but more, you know, nativized, if I may say. And it's been recognized actually by the Oxford Online Dictionary as a different kind of English, uh, similar to our neighbors in Singapore and Malaysia, simply because we have terms that uh, only Filipinos would use in the Philippines. Like if, if you go to, if you go to San Francisco or go to LA and uh, go with Filipino Americans, there are, I mean, there, there will definitely be a difference between an, a Filipino who, was, who went to the United States in like 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s compared to like a first generation uh, Filipino American. Another good thing about colonization is that it's easy for us to also reach out to other countries. And this gave rise to the business process outsourcing industry that was booming here in the Philippines, um, way starting in around the two, early 2000s. So chances are if you get angry with your credit card and you call your bank, there is a possibility that you would be routed to someone in Manila instead of being routed to call someone in, you know, in your own neighborhood. And, and you get to complain about your, your credit card. It's not probably not working. And they would say, yeah, you know, sorry, we understand. We'll get to work on it. So it's also generated jobs for the benefit of, of Filipinos as well. Lastly, if you look at tourism, where this is something that's like a, a, a gray area, I guess, because on one hand, if you're an American tourist, you go to the Philippines, it's not very difficult for you to find something that you find probably in the U.S. Like right in my neighborhood, probably within a, a mile radius, you'd probably see two KFCs, a McDonald's, <laughs> a few Starbucks and coffee beans. These are American products. We enjoy them as much as anyone would um, probably across the world. But we, it's from here that I transition to the negative stuff. Because if you're going to ask a Filipino, like, what's really Filipino culture? It's very, very difficult to explain. Because, like, food, for one, is, you don't really see fast food in the Philippines that are uniquely Filipino, except... For Jollibee, which is like our national fast food chain, I guess. And you, if you go to the West Coast, there are a lot of Jollibees. That's like, and, and they're and they're growing, and uh, they've grown so much that the the parent company, Jollibee Foods Corporation, acquired uh, the coffee bean and tea leaf brand uh, sometime last year. But if you look at like other Filipino dishes, they tend to be sidelined, and some say. Uh, tend to be exotic, mm -hmm. like Anthony Bourdain have, uh, yeah, Anthony Bourdain of all the, of all chefs, celebrity chefs, uh, love the Philippines because of its um, uniqueness, but you have also other celebrity chefs that focus on, 
more extreme cuisine like uh, fertilized duck eggs <laughs> mm-hmm. and like tree tree worms that you eat raw or something. We don't do that. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, only a certain section of the country eats that. I don't eat that. Another thing is that's negative um, of colonialism is because there are certain st- stereotypes that we have for certain cities or regions. There's not. Uh, there is. A, it creates a certain tension between let's say, people in Manila versus people in the second largest city of the Philippines in terms of population, which is Cebu, because Cebuanos would think Manila people are a a bunch of hotheads or a bunch of airy guys that they'd prefer talking to Manileños in English rather than in the national language. So, you know, the certain biases brought about post-colonialism is... Due to colonialism, basically. So the last one is just that it goes back to my earlier point that all the signs in the Philippines are in English. So it it makes English like the priority over all the other languages in the country. And in the Philippines, there's one national language, which is Filipino, but there's also eight regional languages. And then there are more, the dialects and um, the sub-languages, etc., so they don't get highlighted and it becomes a problem because some of them might get extinct. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for all that context. And I think that one of the reasons why I really wanted to dive into that is that it is important to look backwards at history and understand how we got to where we are today and appreciate it, acknowledge it. Obviously some of the things are, we are deplorable and, and unforgivable, but we have to understand that context so we can now look forward to what does this world look like as we are collectively working towards these 17 sustainable development goals. And within in some of your contexts, I know you do a lot around SDG 12 in particular, as well as um, SDG at least nine with, with climate change. And I know those are, they're, all of them are interconnected, but give me some context on Maybe based on what we talked about with the, the Philippine historical framework, what are some of the challenges that consumption and production from a consumer standpoint have, and how's that tie to climate change? And, and I guess one other caveat is I, I think many social media, we've seen a lot of stuff on social media, whether I think it was in Indonesia or Philippines, where you see some of these just like mass rivers of plastic that are just like mass swaths of plastic, and that part of that has to do with the over-reliance on, on one-time use plastics. And, and, and obviously it's not just with internal consumption, but external shipping in various uh, waste and whatnot. So I know there's a lot in that, what I just said, but interested in, in sort of your, what you're doing and, and some of the work that you're working on around those two SDGs in particular. All right. Well, in my day job, I am a consultant for, a company that helps large companies in the Philippines trying to ful- in trying to fulfill their um, sustainability initiatives. So in 2019, the Philippine Securities and Exchange Commission gave an order or a, a memorandum of, of for companies to comply with reporting standards that are made across the world and see basically how they're handling their energy their waste consumption and production, their water consumption, how they pay their employees, 
how they treat local communities and indigenous groups. So it's in line with SDG 12 because reporting makes it or gives us an idea of what's really wrong with the country right now in terms of the private sector. And yeah, we, we identified that there are certain companies that are not really into the sustainability field yet because either they don't know about it yet or they have yet to really get into it. You know, they're not really incentivized to switch from single-use plastic to renewable sources, of uh, not really renewable sources, more of um, longer use of plastic. Mm-hmm. But they do have two initiatives that I do on, on the side. First is this uh, uh, social innovation startup that helps with the plastic problem through uh, the practice of refilling. And it's been growing since like January. I'm only doing uh, the work part-time as their materials guy, basically checking if whatever materials that we would put out for our customers would be reusable or renewable, depending on what product we'll be selling. And this is very, very important because we have been tagged as one of the top five producers of plastic wastes. And yeah, we're also like Indonesia, we've had like rivers where they're just full of trash everywhere. And it's all because of this idea called the sachet economy that's been growing since like the 70s, I believe, where you have your, you know, your ketchup packets, uh, sugar packets, and like shampoo packets, <laughs> which is something that I, I don't see in America. But yeah, we, we have these simply because it's cheap, it's convenient, it's easy to dispose. It's easy to dispose if you were like in the 1980s or in the 1990s. But for a population of 110 million and growing, it creates a headache. So it's a challenge for Filipino companies or Filipino startups even to address the problem on the side of the private sector. Mm-hmm. The other initiative is more of a podcast for sustainable development. And um, we've also tackled this problem in one of our episodes where we talked to someone from the environmental, uh, the, the Department of Environment and Natural Resources here in the Philippines. And he shared his thoughts on why we're having this problem. And <laughs> although he says that the private sector is to blame, but I also believe that uh, the government is also to blame because they're the ones that are setting the policies for private sector to follow. Yeah, different incentives or, or punishments for doing something or not doing something is, is, an, is important to set the, the framework in the field based on how businesses respond. Yeah, definitely correct. So your podcast, I think, is it Sustain a Rumble? Is that how you pronounce it or what's it called? Yeah, it's called Sustain a Rumble. Okay. Uh, it's, the, it's the first ever podcast that just tackles on sustainable development in the country. But our main emphasis is in Manila because Manila is, the population of Manila is more than 10 million people. We're more dense than London. So <laughs> to wow. put it in more, pers- you know, a better perspective. And it's, it's, it's not good if, uh, if we're going to grow and have these problems at the same time. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. So, with um, 
kind of your work. And I also saw some of the, maybe your ambassador, some of the work you're doing with the, the Climate Reality Org. Could you, could you tell me a little bit more about what the Climate Reality Org does and sort of what, what your effort is with that? Yeah, so the Climate Reality Project is the one that's under former U.S. Vice President Al Gore. And for her, for years now, they've already reached out to Asian countries and see how we can fight climate change in our own way, in our, in our own community, in our own country. And um, I recently became um, what they call a climate reality leader in, in July. And we've already hit off, well, we've already hit it off with um, certain initiatives here in Manila that just focuses on climate education and like alternative ways to address the problem. And it's not just pure, hardcore climate change topics, but also topics that include responsible consumption and wage management. Yep. And, all, and I saw kind of some of the articles, but looking at all the different interconnectedness and cohesion amongst the SDGs and, and kind of addressing the commonalities of problems that we face with climate change, either too much water or not enough, or dealing with wildfires, whether it be in California or Australia, we, we struggle with a lot of these similar problems around the world that are being exacerbated by different factors. But I think it's important to have podcasts like Sustain and Rumble and organizations like Climate Reality Org and podcasts like this to to know who's out there working on this and how can we share best practices faster. And that's something I really admire about the work that you're doing, Jonas, because it's really, really critical that we we understand, obviously, like we talked about earlier, the individual grassroots framework of each country and each local geography, then kind of compare that to a macro standpoint and then kind of figure out what to do about it. You know, so that long-winded rant right there, I think kind of that what to do about it. I'd love to know about, you know, what can we do, let's say within the Philippines, or what what else can be done that you see as something that excites you over the course of the next one, two, five, eight years until we hope, um, hopefully accomplish these goals by 2030? Well, thank you. And actually, that's a great question. And here's how I see the world really moving forward uh, in terms of addressing the SDGs. First, they really need to go back to the past. Looking into indigenous practices is one way for us to move forward. There is a saying by our national hero, uh, Dr. Jose Rizal, that if you don't look at the past, then you can't look at the future. Something, something along those lines. It was done, I mean, it was said in Filipino, but for translation purposes. It's a good thing because sometimes our ancestors or the people of the land are the ones that are striving to preserve the land. I understand in the United States with Native Americans, they do have that kind of belief. Yeah. Uh, preserving the land is important to them. And it's something that we should really think about. If we are going to introduce new ideas, new policies, and even new technologies, we also have to look at how they did it before and why is it working and why aren't we working right now? Secondly, we also have to look into the needs of the community themselves. Like I live in an area that's full of buildings and skyscrapers. So the solutions that come out from where I am is very, very different from someone that's living in a farm. 
and understanding each and every community based on where he or she is at is another way to understand uh, climate change. So one problem in Manila is constant flooding because everything's in, in concrete and asphalt. So from there, you innovate and say, okay, probably we could, we could deal with the, the, the flooding of the streets if we harvest race, uh, rainwater or something. Mm-hmm. Something that's being done in places like Mexico, I guess. Because like yesterday, I saw a video of how Mexico City is addressing their water problem. And one of them is rain, I mean, rainwater harvesting. Another thing is really to reduce single-use plastic. I'm a chemist by profession, and I know that there was the first, the first study about plastics. The purpose of having plastics was to reuse the plastic, but r- reduce also the, the weight of a material that will house supposedly you know, plates, or that will become plates, or utensils, or bowls. Because back then they were using ceramics and, and glass, which was very, very bulky and, um, and very, very heavy. The original use of plastics wasn't for single use. It was really for multiple use. So we also need to look at it again in that perspective. I'd actually heard that the first time a plastic was engineered was to use as a replacement for ivory within piano pieces. I think yeah. that mm-hmm. I, I read that, so I'm not sure if that was true, but seemed kind of almost ironic where we had designed plastic to help us reduce the need to, to use ivory. But now plastic has evolved so much that it's literally choking our ecosystems and overloading everything we do. And, and, and on that, I mean, it's not that all plastics are bad. I mean, a lot of plastics are amazing and especially reusable plastics and plastic use in the right way. Um, it's just that, movement towards the convenience like you talked about where it's just we just sort of act as if we we throw it in the trash and the the recycling and it all goes away but uh when you're talking about a filipino population of 110 million and a a soon-to-be world population of 9 billion by 2050 there seems to be a, a problematic breaking point somewhere in regards to the way current consumption practices are heading yeah that's correct and yes, I think what you described about the first use of plastic was accurate because the I actually did it in the lab once. <laughs> it was for an organic chemistry experiment, and I thought it would be cool to to synthesize the first ever plastic. Mm. And yeah, the, the the first use was indeed to replace the the piano keys from ivory. Yeah, that's correct. Interesting. So with the uh... Just kind of closes out here, Janice. I'd love to kind of hear final thought, final wisdom, kind of suggestion, or 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 really anything to to close us out here about something that inspires you or something that you want to leave with the SDG Talks podcast community here. I guess the first, the the only thing that I could really say is that for us to innovate, we have to listen to everyone. It doesn't have to be like like everyone, everyone. It's more of Find the unique voices in, in the people around and really get all the information that you need in order for you to solve a problem. Millennials and Gen Zs are now leading in that direction. 
and I'm very, very happy to work with them. Or even now, you know, um, I've been I've been working with millennials and Gen Zs in like smaller projects for SDGs, and they're really, really excited. And they're the ones that are also taking steps to to correct those problems. But they're I mean these generations they can only go so far and uh they would definitely need the help of those that are before i mean that come before them and uh like yourself <laughs> now i'm a millennial i think <laughs> uh, me, me too but that's that's the point here is we we want to try and help those that are coming after us and you know jonas i it's i you got me fired up this morning thinking about just the, the historical framework and and looking at different uh, local grassroots solutions that can be used to address some of these issues around consumption and innovation. So, I mean, on, on behalf of uh, SDG Talks community and myself, really grateful, Jonas, and we'll make sure to put all the show notes in the, the podcast notes. So just want to thank you for your time today, and, and I'm really excited to see what happens next for you and, and to stay in touch moving forward. Well, thank you for having me, and... Um... I do hope that this podcast will make wonders for our, for our listeners and for yourself as well, Kevin. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the SDG Talks podcast. Make sure to check out all the show notes for relevant links from this show. Please share and follow SDG Talks on social media and stay tuned for updates from the Unleash and United Nations community. The goal of the SDG Talks is to bring you good content. So if you want to learn about something specific or have suggestions, please let us know. We look forward to seeing you next time on SDG Talks.